invite the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee as we recognize the, how frail we really are and how dependent we are on the, the comforts that we experience in our times. And yet, Lord, when we have them removed so quickly as we've had this week, we recognize how dependent we are on thee and on each other. We pray, Lord, that we may be attentive to thy word this morning and ask, Lord, that thou would speak to us through it. We believe that our gathering here is not in vain, and each person that is present can have the opportunity to, to hear and to feel the presence of thy spirit and to know thy words and thy will for their lives. We ask, therefore, Lord, that thou would bless us, bless the word, bless those that have made the effort, and also, Lord, be with those that could not be here and wish to be here to hear thy word as well. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to stay with our, our custom of reading the account of the birth of Jesus Christ in, as found in the second chapter in, of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem 
and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I have read through verse 20. The Lord is worthy that we bow before him in prayer. O loving Father in heaven, marvelous and great are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. O Lord, these 2,000 years since the nativity of our beloved Saviour is like a blink of the eye to you. But in these 2,000 years that have transpired since his birth, yea, these 6,000 years since you formed the first man, Adam, and gave him a help meet for him, Eve. Many, many things have happened here upon this earth. We in our lifetime have witnessed the great depravity of man that were consequences of the fall of our first, of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And it behooved thee, the living God, because of love for a lost and dying world that you sent your only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. O Father in heaven, we come before you this morning to worship you, to give you glory, honor, and praise perhaps not, not as glorious as the angels that evening who sang Hosanna in the highest. But we come to you not as created beings as angels were, but as recreated beings. beings. Those that have been regenerated, reborn by the word of God and purified by the blood of the Lamb. We come unto you as our dear Father and we your children at your feet to worship you and to give you all the glory and praise that is due your name. And in that we fail many times. Father in heaven, we pray this morning that your name would be glorified, would be lifted up by all, whether we sing, whether we think, whether we speak, whether we act. May it be all to your honour and glory and praise. Father, we lift up before us all now the Lamb of God who was the one that took away the sin of the world to those that submitted themselves to you, to those that humbled themselves before your throne of grace, 
to those that call upon the name of the Lord. And in repentance, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that these are the memories that we will take of that notable day when your son took upon flesh, when he came upon this lowly earth, forsaking the glory and the honour he had at your right hand to become sinful flesh, to become as sinful man, yet without sin, to be feeling the same feelings and, and affection, affections of the flesh as we have, and yet he was without sin. Father, we pray that you would bless our worship service this morning. Father, we pray that you would touch each and every heart that is within hearing distance of thy word. We're thankful, Lord, that your word has power today as we have once again evidenced in our dear friend Brian as he has accepted thee as Lord and Saviour. We pray that you would continue to work in his life. Father, we pray for others that have been attending for such a long time, being exposed to your word, which is powerful, more powerful than any two-edged sword, able to discern between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and sees us through like an x-ray, and we are naked before thee with whom we have to do. Father, we pray for our friends who do not know thee as Lord, that they would experience the same joy, that they would experience the regeneration and become new men, new women, serving you, the living Christ and the living God. Father, be with those that are not here, the sick, the shut-in, those that are going through great trials and tribulations, as we heard from Brother Ishvan this morning, that he wishes that everyone would go through an experience like he did, that he rejoiced in trial, that he rejoiced in tribulation because it brought him through a fire and purified him as gold is tried seven times in the fire. And there are many suffering throughout this world many that are hungry, naked, in prison for your namesake. We pray for our dear brother Dan Kunchak, who's in prison now in Israel because of a, an accident. We pray that you would be with him and his family and comfort them. Father, we pray for those that are stricken with the disease of cancer. We have them in our midst. Pray for Sister Olga pray that you'd give her healing and strength and comfort from above. Pray for Sister Sarah Yosic and his, her dear husband and family. Pray for little Kira Namanyi, four-year-old who's undergone transfusions and much suffering. We commend her into your hand. Be with us now, Father, as we look to thee for a blessing. Be with our dear brother Alan as he would expound your word. And may your name be praised and glorified this day. For we ask all of these things in the precious name of our Lord and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Today we take the opportunity given to us by our, our government and the country that we live in to, to gather together in our place of worship. We have this liberty to be able to read from a book that we believe is inspired and that whose origin is none other but from God. And so it is a, a special book, the most important book, one would argue, that we could ever read or ever lay our hands on and our eyes can fix our vision too. And yet we find ourselves once a year revisiting this, the theme of the birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And it's a story that we've all heard. Some of us in, in, this, in this audience have heard it from, from, from our youth in Sunday school and in our homes, in our own private devotions and discussions with our own families. It's a story that is known in the world, perhaps on a very superficial, superficial basis, but it is nonetheless known. And we see um, if the weather was more forgiving, we would probably be able to go through some neighborhoods in Toronto and see the, the scenes of the nativity with the little manger and, and some animals and, and Joseph and Mary and, and a little baby. So the world is familiar with this image of the birth, the, the, the exceptional, special, miraculous birth of a little child born to a, a family that had to go to a town because of their lineage, their descendants. They were descendants of David, and the requirement was when Caesar required the whole Roman world to be taxed, that they would have to go to their place where their, their descendants or their uh, initial families originated. And for Joseph and Mary, whose real name really was Miriam, um, Mary is the Greek version of her name, They had to go to Bethlehem, and probably there were many that had to go to Bethlehem, and there was no room, as it tells us. It doesn't tell us more than that, and our imaginations can take that beyond, but it tells us that there was no room, and they, were, they had no other choice but to go to where the animals were kept. And Joseph, who probably was in his late 20s, maybe even his early 30s, was betrothed to, to Mary, who probably was around 15 years old. This was an arranged marriage in all likelihood. And we know the story, if we would have read in the earlier chapter, chapter 1, that, that she's, she's actually found to be pregnant. Now, in that culture and not so different today, but in that culture, for her to have been in, in a state of engagement and yet to have been found pregnant um, would have 
at least would have required her to be banished from her from the social circles and her society, her community. The Bible tells us that Joseph, being honorable, was willing to put her away in, in a private manner so to, to minimize the shame that would be brought to her. And you can imagine she's only about 15 years old. And he's almost, or he's in his early 30s. Almost, he's almost twice as old as her. And at that time, that was... He was probably at the age where he finally had a place of his own or somewhere attached to, to his father's home, and he was in a position where he could take care of a wife. But he did the right thing, and he's warned by an angel to, to take care of her. And there's this already in, in the beginning, we see that there's this trust relationship that starts between Mary and Joseph. Being 15 years of age, pregnant with the seed of God, as she was told by the angel. And Joseph, willing to show and demonstrate uh, sympathy and, and, and care and compassion towards her, um, knowing that, that the law itself, the Jewish law, would have required her uh, even to stone her. Because the the implication of her being found pregnant without him having known her or consummated that, that, be, that engagement would have definitely have required her stoning, her death. So already, the background for us is that, that, that she, is, she is completely dependent on this man who has not known her in, in a physical way, who has accepted her pregnancy as being supernatural and coming from God, having seen that in the vision in the dream, he's accepted that there is something remarkable about her. And this relationship continues on as they come together to Bethlehem and find nowhere, nowhere comfortable to reside that evening. And she's large. She is ready to be delivered. She's in her final trimester, her nine-month pregnancy. She's probably scared. And they're in this manger. They're in this, this, they're in this condition that, that none of us would want to be in. And certainly for her, all the things that were in her mind, the, the exceptional uh, revelation by, by the angel and then going to see her cousin Elizabeth, who also was um, visited by the angel as well, or at least her husband. And both cousins, Jesus and, and John the Baptist, had these miraculous beginning. But Mary as she was in that stall where the animals could have been, um, pondered all these things as she was preparing to deliver. And the Bible tells us that, that there was no great announcement to let the world know that, that something tremendous was going to happen other than he chose to reveal his will for man through 
shepherds, crude, uh, hardy folks that were in, out in the field, sleeping out in the field because they were going to watch and ensure the safety of their flock. And it was to those individuals that God, it wasn't to the, to the other than to the, the, the three, the wise, the wise man from the east. We don't know whether there were three. There were the wise men from the east who were led by the signs in the sky, particularly the star, that the, the one that was promised to them. And how they knew these things, we don't know other than God revealed it to them. And so to the shepherds that were in the fields, God reveals his plan and tells them here. He says, And it came to pass as the angels were... Oh, actually. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. They were terrified. The expression here, so afraid, is, is uh, we don't use that expression today in our, in our typical use of the English language, but it, it, it means that under no, no misgivings, no misunderstandings here, they were absolutely terrified at what they had seen. And these were, these were tough men sleeping out in the field, and it's interesting how, and if we put this together, that's why this story makes a little bit of sense as we begin to look into it. It's not, it's not a fairy tale that you can say, or a Cinderella story where everything just works out so well. You know, inspired by someone who, who, who wrote a, a story for many generations to, to enjoy. This is about how God chose to reveal himself to simple man. And they were absolutely terrified by the scene. And as they were terrified by the scene, the angel reassures them and he says, Don't fear. Behold or or look at what I am about to tell you. I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Now, if we fast forward to today, for most of us in, in, in the church today, we, we have a very good understanding of what that good tidings, that good news is. We, we believe the good news is that, that, that God visited man in the form of his son and chose to walk as a man to take upon him the sins of man and to pay the ultimate price for those sins which was the worst price that could have been paid at that time which was the death on the cross in order for man to experience liberation and freedom from a captivity and a prison that we now understand to be because of the word of God defines it as sin Sin, the universal disease that runs rampant through all, uh, all regions of the earth, all uh, ancestries, all uh, societies. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what color of skin, 
we are all infected with this one disease. And if there is something that we could boil down this, the, the significance of this book, it's that there is sin and there is freedom from sin. And in between, there is the death and resurrection of the Son of God named Jesus. And so when the angels told, when the angel told the shepherds who were terrified in the field that I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all people, they had no clue, really, what was about to happen. Even, even now in our time, with hindsight in our favor, when we look back and say it was an incredible revelation, we ourselves don't have a real full grasp of what this means. The Bible tells us that when we see Jesus come back again the second time in this tremendous glory, and when the Bible tells us that, that at that point, whether we like it or not, whoever you are, you will have to bow down to authority to the one who actually came and died for you and you will bow down to him not as the the babe born in a feeding trough to a 15 year old terrified young girl whose father probably didn't live much longer beyond that but who will come back as king of kings and lord of lords a, a, a person who will completely embody absolute authority and power and to that man, we will have to give our worship. So, no, the, the shepherds didn't have a clue. And we ourselves today only understand, as much as we are capable of understanding, the, 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 the depth of this revelation. And it says to hear that, there will be good, new, good news of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, or the anointed of the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in, in swaddling clothes, lying in the feeding trough. And then there was suddenly with that angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, whether they were more than just angels present, we don't know. And they were praising God. And the, the significance of their praise, it says here, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, on earth peace, and then it says, comma, goodwill toward man. I never really understood this phrase until perhaps today. Goodwill toward man, it depends on what if you were to look at this and try to go back to the original Greek and try to determine where the actual punctuation lies, and if you look at, if you wish, if you're of that inclination and you look at other uh, translations of the scripture, other reputable translations of the scripture, you will find that they talk about that the peace that's announced here, the peace on earth that's announced here is directed to those who are in God's favor. It's not a generic piece such as this announcement is for all mankind to enjoy the peace. 
or that the goodwill toward man is for all men to have, that they will experience goodwill. But rather that, that there, this, this announcement definitely offers the opportunity of peace and for man to have goodwill toward each other. There's a difference. So when you, when you get the customary greeting, whether it's at work or whether it's whoever, for, you know, Merry Christmas. Think about that. What makes it merry? What makes it good? Here the announcement is that, that there is peace to be had on the earth to those that are willing to show goodwill to each other. But the peace is not from within themselves. The peace is from the one who has just been announced, whose birth has just been announced. And the shepherds, the odds or the probability that they would end up going to Bethlehem and they would find more than one baby born in a feeding trough is so small, you couldn't calculate it. You couldn't, you couldn't define it mathematically. And to them, they had no problem finding this baby that was born in a feeding trough. And it says that when, they, when the angels left and the shepherds thought about it among themselves, they came to the conclusion that they probably left some of their junior shepherds to watch the rest of the flock. But the more senior shepherds, the ones that were more in the leadership role, said, let's go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord had made known unto us. And when we look at the whole picture, we see that really that's really, in, a, in, in, in its simplistic perspective that was the role of the shepherds they were in the field they were uh, they were um, encountered by god illuminated in, in a great light from heaven they were in a terrified position and they were motivated by this revelation to go and see and and validate the revelation there was no way any of them could have ever said to themselves, you know what, we were hallucinating. We were really tired. We, didn't re we really didn't have this experience that physically, you know, the heavens were open to us and this message of, of the, the Savior was revealed to us. No, there were more than one. They could confirm and they could definitely validate that yes. And then they went one step further and they found the baby as it was. And they told Mary and Joseph what they saw. And they went abroad in the rest of the town and probably on their way back and said, yes, we did see this baby. We did see that he was born. And we don't know what else happened. But the Bible tells us here that, that Mary, all these things having happened, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that's what, with the Lord's help, I'd like us to just focus a little bit today, this morning. Ponder them in her heart. The shepherds were, had an a extraterrestrial encounter with the heavenly hosts. They 
had an opportunity to validate that encounter and confirm the, the birth of, of a baby in a, in a feeding trough. They could have asked Mary, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but they could have asked Mary a little bit about who she was. Surely, if you and I were in that situation, if we would, have, we would not have just stopped at, at beholding the baby in the feeding trough. We would have looked at the mother and we would have asked, who are you? Why are you here? How has this come to pass? And let me, let me tell you what we, what we saw back in the fields. And, and so they probably would have corroborated their encounter with her encounter, and Joseph would have said his dream. And so, so now they've got three stories that are weaved together, and they left and told everybody. So everybody at the birth of Jesus Christ, within no surroundings, within the people they came in contact, knew at least probably the story of Joseph's dream, the immaculate uh, conception, conception of um, of, uh, of, of uh, Mary, and they would have also shared their encounter with the angels in the field. And that's all we know. We, in fact, we don't know much more about the shepherds. We don't know what else happened to them. We don't know. But, but it wasn't so much that they were able to confirm what they saw. Just like today, you hear the message, or you've heard the message in the past, the point is, what is the message actually telling us? What is the meaning of the message? Ultimately, the message to the shepherds who walked away and, and thought about all these experiences was that, that this child that was born is going to be the Savior. He is going to be the Savior. He is the anointed of the Lord Christ, the Lord, and that, that there is peace to be had for man who are willing to exercise goodwill to one another. There is this peace to be had, and the peace is connected with the Savior. And if we, we look at this peace, I want to read from the Old Testament, because we cannot not go back to the Old Testament if we're talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. Actually, before we go to the Old Testament, if we were to read a few more chapters down Luke, we'd find Jesus after the time that he was tempted in the wilderness, it says in Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. He's about 30 years old now. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified, glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet, a large scroll. And he undid the scroll, and... And the, the prophet Isaiah was, was given to him, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now this is found in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, we read, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach, has set me aside with the specific role to preach the good tidings, the good news unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop there 
where Jesus stopped. If you were to follow with me in chapter 61 of Isaiah, you would see that Jesus didn't stop at the end of verse number 2. He stopped at, at a comma. He stopped halfway through the verse. The first verse and the first half of the second verse that he tells us is that he came to offer good news. And listen to the object of his announcement. In other words, the message is directed to some individuals. And, and God makes that message very clear as to who this message is directed to. The message is directed to, to, to the meek, the ones that are lowly in heart and in mind, who, who are not, if, if I want to use very simple language, who are not proud, who do not think of themselves as so self-sufficient that, that they don't need to hear this. If you are such a person, Jesus Christ didn't come in his anointing, in his initial message, he didn't come to address you. He says he came to address them that to bind up, to heal the brokenhearted. So here is the first audience, the first potential recipients of that peace are the brokenhearted. Now, it takes, I would say, humility. It takes humility for you and I to admit we're brokenhearted. In, in today's age, uh, you, it would, we'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would be very open to make the ultimate confession because we can say we have needs, we may say we have, we may confuse our wants with our needs. We may say, we may express that we are lonely. But to, to make the absolute statement that our hearts are broken means that we are allowing ourselves to become vulnerable for, for the repair of our heart. And that repair doesn't come from within us. It would have to come from without us. And Jesus says that I came to bind up the brokenhearted. So that's the first recipient of his message. The second recipient is to proclaim liberty to the captives. And he talks about liberty to the captives and opening up the prison to them that are bound. So there's the prisoner and there's the captive. That's the other category of individuals upon whom the message of peace and goodwill is proclaimed. So the question, and it has to go out today, are we captive? Are we one of those individuals that are captive? And, and, and to proclaim liberty to the captives means that there is there's an opportunity for you to be free. And, and the, vision, the picture here is that you are taken captive against your will. What is taking you captive against your will? Where, what is the... What is the, the thing you're feeling or that mankind in general is experiencing that requires them to want and to long after liberty? What are we captive to? Well, we're captive to ourselves. It doesn't take much. In fact, it only takes a few seconds when you just examine your thought process in your mind, how often your thoughts revert back to you, me, I. 
You know, we are in many ways, and, we, and it hasn't changed over the, the centuries, but perhaps we're reaching the pinnacle of that in our society where we are so obsessed with ourselves. We are obsessed with the needs of ourselves, or more probably precise, our wants. We become our worst enemy because we only think so much about ourselves. And I'm not in any way trying to criticize, but the fact is that we actually need liberty from ourselves. And that's why Jesus said that he that, that is going to follow me, he needs to take up his cross and, he's, and he needs to die to himself daily. That is the first requirement is to die to yourself because you and I get in, get in the way of God's will being fulfilled in us. In fact, you and I get in the way of exercising goodwill toward man. And we need to be freed from ourselves. And to have to be free from the captivity of self, the Bible tells us that there's no other way but to die. The old man must die. The old man must die. And we preach it, that, that when you are baptized, that, that the old man identifies with Christ on the cross, that his sins, your sins, my sins that were placed upon him, you confirm that they were your sins, and you're willing then to acknowledge that he is dying on your behalf. You're willing then to be with him in that death, to take part in that death, to confirm and to concur and to agree wholeheartedly that, yes, your old man is dying to sin. And that when you resurrect through the operation of God, through him changing your heart and your mind, when you resurrect, you resurrect a new creature that is freed, that is at liberty from the old captivity. And then there is the opening of the prison to them that are bound, bound in sin. Sin. We hear it so often. We see it in the world. In fact, you know, when, when you look at the Old Testament and you look at all the individuals all the way through the Bible, you look at all the individuals. So the, the basic question is, is God real? God is real. Um, and God says that for those who believe in him, identify with the death on the cross of Jesus Christ, through the operation of God become new creatures, just like the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a new man. You and I become new individuals with him. The Bible tells us that one more thing is added, that his Holy Spirit is then given to us to reside in. So then, so this, this power that we have, it's an incredible power. The Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is given to us, but not for our own selfish use. If you look at throughout the, the scriptures, perhaps maybe one prophet and maybe partially Moses no, no holy man of God, no man of God is given complete, unbridled control to the power of God because we would not be able to handle that power. It would never be good for us. But the power that he gives us is the power to believe and to trust him day by day and to grow stronger in that reliance and dependence. It's the power to know to do right. It's the power to make the choice to exercise grace. 
And that power is the most important power that we need. We don't need power to, to bring down fire from heaven or to destroy our enemies, as some would claim. We don't need any of that kind of power because that kind of power just corrupts man. But we need the power that allows us to live out the life as new beings, as new individuals. And then it says here, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Um, to proclaim the time that God has appointed in order for him to show and reveal his favor to man. Ever wondered why God chose for that to happen then? I mean, there are many theories. One is that it was a Roman world. The, the, the Roman communication system was placed. We had Roman roads. We had... Uh, a relative peace in the world. There was a lot of flexibility in which a, a religion like Christianity could spread unhindered and could reach uh, all the, the, the corners of the known world. But, but he, just like in, those, in the time in which God chose to bring his favor to upon, upon man through, through the birth of his son, the Savior, so will God choose the right time for Jesus to come back. He will choose the right time for Jesus to come back. Now, Jesus, when he opened the scroll of Isaiah and he read in the synagogue, he stopped at the comma in verse 2 of 61. It says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. And the day of vengeance of our God, comma. Now, the peace, goodwill, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. We all like that message. As, as some of us heard it from, from childhood, it gave us some comfort, some belief that God was a benevolent God, and he is, and that his son, the, the sweet, beautiful picture in the manger, in, in the feeding trough, uh, brings us comfort, but it only brings comfort to the brokenhearted. It only brings comfort, it says, to, to, to comfort all that mourn. It only brings comfort to the lowly, to those that are willing to humble themselves. It only brings comfort to those that recognize their captivity and their imprisonment because of sin. If you find yourself not falling in any of those categories of individuals, you may say then that this message really doesn't apply to me. I'm not brokenhearted. I'm not mourning. I'm not in need. I don't find myself under captivity or bound by sin. In fact, I'm enjoying life and I feel pretty much in control of my own will. This message, therefore, has no meaning to me. It would seem that way on the surface. But Jesus, because it wasn't the right time, he didn't read the other part of that verse and the day of vengeance of our God. So while we want to focus on the good message, the peace on earth, and the goodwill toward man of today, there is the other half of the message. That for those of us who do not find ourselves as the recipients of this message because of self-sufficiency or because we just simply don't believe there's a need for this, God says... I will hold you then accountable. I will hold you then accountable to your own definition of righteousness. I will hold you accountable 
to what you believe to be right and wrong in your own eyes. And then the Bible says that he will come back as this judge and he will present, if you've ever been to, well, the Ontario place used to have it, they had the, the big omnisphere and you could see that the, the, the large, they would have those movies, nature movies, and you know, you're going down a raft on a whitewater raft and it was almost like 3D but that's exactly how it would be. God is going to, he's going to give a panoramic view of your life. And he's going to identify every instance in your life where you chose to reject the message of peace on earth and the opportunity to show goodwill on man. And then he's going to show every example of where you came short of living up to your own expectation of righteousness and right and wrong. He's going to hold you accountable to where you did not exercise. It's like when I was driving, I forget the day was when we had the power outages, and um, maybe it was Tuesday or Monday, and, you know, when, there are, when the lights aren't working, you treat lights as four-way stop, and somebody just drove right through it, and I said to myself, well, that's, you know, that guy shouldn't be doing that. And then as I'm coming home, I'm passing through the last light, and it was out, and I drove right through it. And I said to myself, Alan, you're a big hypocrite. You just, you just told that guy he's, he's not doing the right thing. And, I, and that's exactly how it's going to be. Those that reject this, those that reject the meaning of the birth of the Son of God on a, on a feeding trough, because, because they don't need this, God is going to hold you accountable to your own righteousness and he's going to show you he's going to show you so many times in your own life how you failed to live up even to your own standard. See, why does God have to have vengeance? Because ultimately all unrighteousness on the earth has to have a payment. All unrighteousness. There will come a day of reckoning. Everything will be made correct. Everything will be rectified. If there was no such thing, then we would be living in a, in, a, in a completely lawless society. But we know that we have to live in a society that's law-abiding. So every person will have to give account one day or another of his, the things that he's done in his body, the Bible tells us. And there will be no excuse. There will be no way that you can say, I didn't really mean to judge the guy back there that went through that, the, the lights that were where there was no power and failed to obey the four-way stop. I didn't really mean to, to be harsh. I didn't really mean to reject God's benevolence. I didn't really mean. That's not true. You did. And God will reveal that. And so... The, the word of God, as we heard in the prayers, is sharper than the two-edged sword, is able to go forward and backwards. Just as you cut down an individual with your own righteousness, self-righteousness, the same sword comes back and cuts you. That other side of the blade cuts back and cuts you. And this is the time. Just think of the shepherds. They all went back to their own ways. Perhaps one of them thought... Maybe there's more to this 
than meets the eye. And this morning, it is my prayer that you have the opportunity to just think about what you've heard. Maybe there's some truth in what's being said here. Maybe if I just give it an opportunity to believe, maybe if I just try it and look at my own life, just, just try it and accept. Accept in simple faith what God has proclaimed to be peace on earth and goodwill toward man. Amen. Brother Alan mentioned that the Old Testament, you can't really look at the whole picture of the birth of Christ without looking centuries before it happened. There are um, tens, if not over a hundred prophecies of, the, of the, the Christ himself, his birth, his death, his resurrection even. Um, and two names were given to Christ. If you read the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, the angel Gabriel said that his name shall be called Jesus because he shall take or save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek for Jehoshua, which means God saves. Um, but the commentary that Matthew gives, he quotes the Old Testament in Isaiah 7, and it's mentioned again in, in chapter 8, where he says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew interprets that and says that it means God with us. That's what happened. God dwelt among men. We beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And he dwelt with us, and he can also dwell in us in us for those that accept him as Lord and Savior. That is my prayer for all those that have not yet accepted him as Lord and Savior. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service. We can now um, perhaps join together.